Hello, I'm Phoebe. I'm Clancy. And I'm Damien. Now you might be asking, what do an Aussie and a POM have in common? Quite a lot, actually. For starters, Her Majesty has her face over all our currency. There's a great big Union Jack on all our flags as well. We do speak the same language. And we do love winding each other up. Yeah, because you guys can't play cricket. Well, you guys don't want to play us at cricket. That's the big difference. Let's get on with the show. We discuss current events in Australian politics. While on a mission to ensure the Governor General stays in their job. Let's save the, the Governor, Governor General. Do we want to? Do you want ScoMo as president instead? Oh, God, no. There you go. Let's save the Governor General. <laughs> Thank you, Clancy, and thank you, Phoebe, for joining me for this special uh, episode where we will discuss the that misogyny speech from the member for lay law and Australia's first female Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, back 2012, October 2012, mm-hmm. if, I rem- if I remember correctly. October the 9th. Day after my birthday. Oh, there you go, special birthday present. You got to hear all about the intimacies of the member for Fisher and his text messages and the hypocrisy of the member for Warringah and his magical conversion to women's rights and how he woke up one day and went, oh my God, there's this thing called misogyny. As if we did not. Why have I got no mirrors in my house? Now, it's a bit of a, uh, I have to say, uh, it was a bit of a tawdry episode in, in, in Australian politics. Audrey, that's a bit mild. Kevin versus Julia versus Tony versus the unfortunate member for Fisher. (laughs) Well, he he only got dragged into it because uh, when he he because Harry Jenkins, the speaker, got uh, he left the he left the chair. But anyway, what I'll do, ladies, is I'll I'll play the for the benefits of the listeners. I'll play the first few minutes of the speech. And then we'll uh, we shall discuss. Now, where was so three, two, now, one? Here we go. Before you start that, hang on. Oh yes. A bit of a bit of background before you start this. This speech was not just some random speech in part. This was a response to a motion by the then leader of the opposition and member for Warringah, Tony Abbott. That guy on the right. Basically saying that it was disgusting how awful it was that. The speaker, Mr. Slipper, had been so graphically misogynistic in these texts. So I put forward a motion to remove him from office. That's what this is all about. The question is that the motion be agreed to. I call the Prime Minister. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. And I rise to oppose the motion moved by the Leader of the Opposition. And in so doing, I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. And the Government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. Not now, not ever. The Leader of the Opposition says that people who hold sexist views and who are misogynists are not appropriate for high office. Well, I hope the Leader of the Opposition has got a piece of paper and he is writing out his resignation. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. That's what he needs. Let's go through the Opposition Leader's repulsive double standards 
repulsive double standards when it comes to misogyny and sexism. We are now supposed to take seriously that the Leader of the Opposition is offended by Mr Slipper's text messages, when this is the Leader of the Opposition who has said, and this was when he was a minister under the last government, not when he was a student, not when he was in high school, when he was a minister under the last government. He has said, and I quote, in a discussion about uh, women being underrepresented in institutions of power in Australia, the interviewer was a man called Stavros. The Leader of the Opposition says, if it's true, Stavros, that men have more power, generally speaking, than women, is that a bad thing? <laughs> and then a discussion ensues and another person being interviewed says, I want my daughter to have as much opportunity as my son. To which the Leader of the Opposition says, yeah, I completely agree, but what if men are by physiology or temperament more adapted to exercise authority or to issue command? Then uh, ensues another discussion about women's role in modern society and the uh, other person participating in the discussion says, I think it's very hard to deny that there is an underrepresentation of women, to which the Leader of the Opposition says, but now there's an assumption that this is a bad thing. This is the man from whom we're supposed to take lectures about sexism. And then, of course, it goes on. I was very offended personally when the Leader of the Opposition, as Minister for Health, said, and I quote, abortion is the easy way out. I was very personally offended by those comments. You said that in March 2004. I suggest you check the records. I was also very offended on behalf of the women of Australia when, in the course of uh, uh, this uh, carbon pricing campaign, the Leader of the Opposition said, when the housewives of Australia need to do what the housewives of Australia need to understand as they do the ironing. Thank you for that painting of women's roles in modern Australia. And then, of course, I was offended too by the sexism, by the misogyny of the Leader of the Opposition catcalling across this table at me as I sit here as Prime Minister. If the Prime Minister wants to, politically speaking, make an honest woman of herself, something that would never have been said to any man sitting in this chair. I was offended when the Leader of the Opposition went outside in the front of Parliament and stood next to a sign that said, Ditch the Witch. I was offended when the Leader of the Opposition stood next to a sign that described me as a man's bitch. I was offended by those things. Misogyny, sexism, every day from this Leader of the Opposition, every day in every way, across the time the Leader of the Opposition has sat in that chair and I've sat in this chair all right, so that is the first four minutes of the uh, speech that uh, went down in history. Pretty powerful stuff. Indeed, yes. but <clears throat> but was it was it all fair? And this is uh, one of the one of the things that uh, we, we might discuss tonight. So just a 
maybe to get some background, because uh, Phoebe was right in that the motion that Abbott tried to pass was, you know, hey, the, the, the member for Fisher is a, so Peter Slipper, he's a slimy little bastard and, you know, he's a creep and anyone who's a creep deserves to be kicked out of office. Here's a motion. Let's get it all done. Um, yeah, but then... As I said, uh, before Peter Fisher was put in the Speaker's chair, Harry Jenkins was put in there. Then, from my understanding, Harry Jenkins was taken out of the chair, or well, he he resigned from the Speaker's position because he wanted to be part of the uh, of the of the caucus for Gillard to shore up her one seat majority, which was being held up by none other than Craig Thompson. Dear. Who himself was part of uh, some pr- some pretty tawdry uh, ongoings, which may cover uh, cover here as well. So, and then uh, there was the the carbon pricing protest outside of Parliament. Uh, there were protesters who had signs that said, "Now, what do they say?" Uh, and I apologise for the bad language here. There was uh, "Ditch the witch." Uh, there was Bob Brown's bitch. There was, I think, there was another one as well that was kind of. Uh... There was a large anti. There was a large one saying that it was communism, as well, with a great big picture of um, Julia Gillard emblazoned over some communism. And then you had the oh, shock jocks there calling her an imbecile and. Uh, Julia, that was right. There was Julia as well. That one. That's right, Julia. That that one got that one got bandied around a fair, a fair bit as well. So yeah. it wasn't so it wasn't just that um, Julie Gillard decided to go on the attack on this particular day uh, out of the blue. It was a build up of uh, build up of things for me. Now I've got a little bit. I just got a few thoughts. I'll, I'll bring out here, and if anyone wants to cut in and uh, jump in with their with their thoughts. Uh, but before feel, we start, I'd like to say that Peter Slipper was a member of the coalition. He was, he was indeed, yes, and he by accepting the speaker's uh, speaker's position, he had made himself persona non grata within the Liberal Party. I think he actually got kicked out because so he was effectively an independent, and the speaker's chair should really go to someone who is independent, and who better than than Mister Fisher? Mm. So. So for me, for me, uh, the the Gillard speech did uh, three things. Uh, one, it, it boosted Gillard's credibility with the feminist crowd. Uh, two, it solidified Gillard's reputation as a fighter, either a fighter or as someone willing to scrape the bottom of the barrel to score political points, depending on your depending on your on your view of things. And number three, it distracted from the bigger clouds that were circling overhead. I think there's a fourth one you can add in there. Yep, yep. Is it gave her the ammunition to paint Kevin Rudd as no different to Tony Abbott? Oh, I'm not sure that's fair. I um... I don't mean I don't mean in the sense that they were both misogynists. I mean in the sense that they were both men vying for her, doing things that they could to vie for her, 
in a way, whether you agree or disagree with mm-hmm. the way that Kevin Rudd went to getting himself back into the office of Prime Minister of Australia, yep. that speech gave her the ammunition to say, look, I was attacked by Tony over there. I was attacked by Kevin over there. They were both men conspiring against a woman, doing everything they could to tear her down behind the scenes, this out in the open this tearing me down on this issue because you had the nonsense at the federal election where there were strategic leagues of the of the internal party meeting that installed Gillard that everyone said was coming from Kevin Rudd and Kevin Rudd going, no, it's not me at all. No, it's not me at all. I'm not going to run to be the Prime Minister of Australia and leader of the Australian Labour Party again. <coughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yes, uh, give, give that, give but that I think time. That, but I do think the speech gave her some ammunition to be able to paint him as well as just another one of the men attacking her, whether that's... Yeah. An accurate way of portraying Kevin Rudd is completely beside the point, but I think yeah. that speech gave her the ammunition to do so. I do not. I, I, have, I have to disagree with that because Julia was put in an inviolable position. She actually wasn't given a great deal of choice about going for the, the leadership. Something that probably a lot of people don't, don't know is I was actually um, in my position as the President you in the, of the room? President you of the, the pe- No, but I, I actually had some inside knowledge about what was going on. And, um, Do tell. Yeah. So <laughs> I actually was told by someone who was in rather a interesting position of power and very close to the source that essentially Julia was told that if she didn't actually take over the leadership, then the whole party was going to collapse. And part of it was due to um, the accusations against Rudd that he was basically bullying his staff and he was directly going against the Cabinet in the decisions that they were making. Um, And they really put her in that position to save the government. So it's more of a uh, do this or we're, we're stuffed? Pretty much. I don't okay. actually think she was given a lot of choice in the matter. Um, so there was there was a lot of other complex stuff going on that Indeed. no one really got privy to um, and it definitely wasn't talked about in the media very much, but they all attacked Julia for it and I actually mm-hmm. don't think she was actually given a choice. And part of that speech was the fact that she'd been under attack for quite a long time by Abbott and other members of the Liberal Party and members of her own team about stupid things. Yes. And members of the media, I might add. Something to get into later on as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think she just was, like, sick of it all. Yep. Quite literally. Yep, yep. And justifiably so. I suppose now this this comes down to the question: Was she a good prime minister? And she was a fucking awesome prime minister. Okay, I'll I will disagree with you there, Clancy. Well, I, thought... I will I will histrionically disagree with you because I think she was the best prime minister in the history of Australia, okay. and if she had actually been given a chance to show that, um, 
we would be a completely different country. We would be mm-hmm. waves ahead of everyone else in things okay. like climate change and carbon storage and yep. all the rest of it. Yeah, I think this is the thing. I don't think she was really given that chance. That she was definitely the thing. wasn't. Uh, there, there, there were some things I did like about her prime ministership, but I, I think, and this is uh, something that also happened with Abbott and Rudd as well, was that the, the histrionics and the conjecture and the the point scoring just became too much. So instead of really managing the country, it became managing the media cycle. And, yeah, it was more about image rather than substance. But... Anyway, but that wasn't her. That was everyone else. That was everyone, yes. And I think Gillard got caught in that, uh, rightly or wrongly. Um, yeah. So, I think this this third part, I this third part where uh, this speech distracted from the bigger clouds that were circling overhead. I think that's probably a good place to start because, so at the time, so Gillard was in a minority government. Now, my understanding was that. She was in a partnership with Tony Windsor, uh, Rob Oakeshott, and just trying to think, it was it and the Greens as well, and, uh, Adam Bant from the Greens. The Green, the Green, but with with Bob Brown and Christine Mill, Christina yeah. Mill, uh, in the in the upper house. So they ha- they formed a minority uh, coalition. Uh, there was there was a circus about uh, who who are the three independents: Rob Oakeshott, Tony Windsor, and. Bob Catter from from Queensland, and yeah, there was a lot of uh, yeah history histrionics there as well. I think it's be I think this is going to be word of the episode histrionics from men, by the way. Yes, from men. Yes, uh, don't think men have covered themselves <laughs> glory in this uh, this uh, episode. Um, so so Gillard minority government was hanging by a thread. Uh, she managed to convince the then Liberal Party rep Peter Slipper, uh, the the member for Fisher to accept the vacant speaker's position taking over from the longtime speaker Harry Jenkins who moved back to the floor of parliament ostensibly to help shore up Labor's numbers in the wake of the Craig Thompson scandal. Now, the Craig Thompson scandal, let's quickly touch on that. So Craig Thompson was the member for oh, what what was he the member for? He, he was a lower house member for one of the New South Wales region uh, seats. He was the head of the health services union, and it came to light that he was spending health services union money on uh, on a very lavish lifestyle. Was was the way of putting it. He was the member for De Bell. That's right. Yes, De Bell. Yes, that was. Uh... Um, and so, but because because Gillard was Gillard's government was. Uh, n- numbers on the floor were hanging by a thread she had to defend craig thompson because if she if that went to a by-election there's a very good chance well if labor won that by-election her government would still hang by a thread if they lost that by-election then it would be a uh it, it would be even stevens and they may have to go go back to a uh, maybe double dissolution election or something to yeah cl- clarify things um, so yes, yeah, so I think that might have been one of the th- one of the things that drove that that Gillard had painted herself into a corner uh, about. So then, so Slipper's acceptance of the speaker's position caused him to be expelled from the Liberal Party, but this was after he raised allegations of branch stacking against his against the LNP in Queensland. 
because because of course that's uh, that's and branch stacking we've heard we've heard a, heard a fair bit about that. And then the heat got turned up on Slipper because uh, what was it? Firstly, he had been he was accused of improperly using cab charge vouchers to tour mm. what? Well, part of it was touring wineries around Canberra, but I think there was an accusation he was he was picking up uh, as well, if I remember somewhat correctly. And then secondly, he had been accused of sexually harassing a staffer. This whole speech was given in the colour of that mm-hmm. being in front of a court. Yes. So the whole speech was made whilst a judge was reserving their judgment. decision yep. on that case. But I didn't want to say judge and judgment. Yes. <laughs> so yes, yes. True, yes. So basically, Gillard <clears throat> was fighting... Well, she was fighting numerous battles. So she had... Craig Thompson and the HSU expensive scandal on one side. She had the Peter Slipper affair on on the other. Uh, She had the sniping and leaking by Kevin Rudd and his acolytes who were angling for him to get his job back. And then probably the other cloud that was circling over her head was the mining... uh, Well, firstly the mining tax, but also the carbon tax as well. Yes. Which then now I'm just trying to think I've bring that up because I've got that later on in my notes uh, notes as well I think well because then so and just to paint the, the, that picture so what had happened was um, now was the was a protest about the mining tax or the carbon the or the carbon tax the carbon tax I'm pretty sure it was the carbon tax okay because I remember there was also a, a convoy to Canberra where all the truckies were like like riding around Canberra and tooting off their horns as a, a as a form of protest. Mm. But yes, uh, a few weeks before the speech, there was a large uh, protest uh, demonstration outside uh, on the grounds of Parliament House, and this is how good Australia is that you can like, hey Phoebe, we have grounds of Parliament House where we can protest. We used to have that. Did you know? We used to have that. And then they passed a Serious Organised Crime and Police Act of 2005 and made it a crime. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Mind you, they tried tried to do that with us too, Damien. Don't forget, they did actually fence off the the, Uh, the Parliament lawns at one stage. At one stage, yes, yes. Um, But, but yes, Parliament Square in the UK. But, yeah, Parliament Square in the UK, you cannot protest out there unless you have permission from the police to protest there. Mm-hmm. And getting permission from the police is very difficult in doing, and not doing so is considered to be a serious crime in the UK. But who, who is the head of the police? Um, the, her Majesty herself. So you basically need permission from Her Majesty to protest Her Majesty. <laughs> or worse, you could actually be going and asking the head of the Metropolitan Police, Dame Cressida Dick. Ooh. So you got to go see Dick to get permission to... So, um, now, on the first and second parts, that the speech boosted Gillard's credibility with the feminist crowd and it was seen as point scoring. Now, feeling over the speech, from my perspective, was mixed, and a lot of it depends on which side you're on. The praise coming from the left side of politics, and especially the online feminist crowd, Gillard was like the BAMF of modern feminism. She was this fearless warrior 
standing up for a marginalized section of society. You know, I am woman, hear me roar. You know, I'm not taking any of your shit anymore. You know, STFU, Tony Abbott, you bastard. Yeah, don't, don't you dare yeah, lecture me at misogynist, you misogynist bastard, all that kind of stuff. Whereas here's the, the thing, though. Here's oh, yes. the thing, though. Yep. What she was saying about Tony Abbott was all true. It's all completely true. And here's the thing: when he got into office, he not only went after women, he went after gay people mm. with his famous they interview. So how? So how do you feel about homosexuality, Tony? Ooh. Makes me uncomfortable. Well, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that's. Yep. And well, wasn't wasn't he wasn't he at various times the minister for women and the minister for indigenous affairs? He was indeed. That's a... which you know strikes me as hideously hypocritical, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, I don't know if he was the best choice for the Minister for Women, but I will say during his time as the Minister for Indigenous Affairs, he actually did, uh, I think he made it a policy of his to actually go out and spend like a week or two out in you know, with Indigenous people. You know, in... that, that depends on the Indigenous people you speak to, Jamie. <laughs> well, but he, he, did, he did at least start, you know, he did at least do this thing where, you know, he would actually sp- spend time out like dedicate time out of the year to go and do that. And I think that's whether it's good or bad, that's a start. That's a, that's at least that's at least something. But um, from the right side of politics, and this is probably where my uh, I tend to have, have more of a near to the ground was that Gillard was smearing a good family man to distract from her own failings. A good and... family man. Good family Excuse man. Excuse me, Damien. What? what was good about him? He's Jesus! Got, he's got, hey, he's got, there was nothing good about him, and there was nothing wow. family about him, and there was no. But he's got he's got three children. He's got three children. So who freaking are all, what? Who's, who are all successful? The queen's in got their own four. Right. What does that make him good for? The queen's Sperm got four. donor. Yeah, the queen has four. One of them is wanted in America. <laughs> One of them can't wait for her to die. One of them you wouldn't trust to run a charity shop, and the other one you don't know anything about her. I'm I'm sorry. All that makes Abbott good for is the fact that he's an irresponsible ejaculator. Okay. I'm saying this is this is the this is the commentary from the right side of politics was that Gillard was you know basically smearing a good family man to distract from her to distract from her from her own failings. Uh-huh. So agree. Yeah, you agree. keep on surfing, Tony. Keep yeah, on surfing. I'm sorry, yeah, going nowhere with that line. Apart from the fact that his own yeah. sister and a couple of his daughters pretty much disowned him after that. Uh, well, actually, no. There was there was a period, but then <laughs> they, from the last I remember, there was all happy families again, and uh, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Now I think that to... line that he was a good family man may have elicited some very strong reactions from the women on this panel. Uh, <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> just that, a little. Know, he, did, he did have obviously have have a wife who is you know. Good for her. Please let me let, let me speak. Let me speak. So he did obviously have a wife um, who seemed they seemed to have a fairly stable relationship. Uh, he's got three daughters who are successful in their own right, which is all we can really ask. Despite um, of him. Uh, his deputy, his deputy was a woman, and his chief of staff was a woman. So yeah, and they we... looked really impressed by the speech, didn't 
but you know, so if, if we're going to paint Tony Abbott as this rampant misogynist, it's like you know all the data, kind of, you know, like yes, he's guilty of saying some stupid stuff, but when it comes down to it, because he has also raised thousands of thousands of dollars for women's charities, domestic violence shelters, um, all, all that kind of stuff. But I will agree, yeah, he said some really stupid things, which, yeah, that's, uh, if he hadn't, we wouldn't be here laughing about it. So, yeah, so then, mm. so, yeah, so for me personally, I woke up the next morning and I felt slimy listening to it just because it's, yeah. That, that, Did you that was... as a man feel insecure listening to that speech? No, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. It was just, I, I think it was more just, for me, it was theatre. I, I, I saw it as theatre, but I thought it was... Whether Tony Abbott, rightly or wrongly, you know, is criticised is one thing, but I just think it was... How can I put it? No, like, so definitely definitely not insecure. It's just more like, oh, like, did she really say that? That was like, oh, okay, that's probably a little bit below the belt. And, 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 for, and for what? And for what's it like to? So she criticised Tony Abbott while defending Peter Slipper and Craig Thompson. It was like, yeah, the whole the whole affair is really really stupid. That was. I don't the- think she was actually defending Peter Slipper though. That's the thing. She was pointing out the hypocrisy oh, definitely, of yes. the whole situation. Yeah. You know that they were they were attacking this man mm-hmm. while they were themselves doing yeah, just yeah. as bad, really. But did, did and the, did and, the and she was caught. She was caught between the devil and the deep blue sea in the whole yeah. thing. You yes. know because it was all about the power. It was mm-hmm. all about who had the power in the parliament, mm-hmm. and she was basically caught between those. Factions. Oh, indeed, indeed. But you know. did, did Slipper, did Slipper, um, did the motion carry? Did the motion pass? No, because I think this this episode in Parliament kind of uh, nicks nicks the, nicks the debate. But um, now I will agree that Gillard had every right to feel aggrieved. This is the hmm. thing. This is the other thing that made me feel icky as well was all the stuff leading up to it as well. Um. Uh, you know the vitriol directed at, at her, especially by the Alan Jones shock jock crowd. Mm-hmm. There was some really oh, it's like it just makes me crawl thinking. Like I think there was someone who asked a question like, "Do the Australian taxpayer pay for its tampons?" I mean, fucking hell, that is mm-hmm. that is. Uh, I mean, from an outsider's point of view, and I remember, I remember this speech when it was. Made and I remember how the British media covered it. The British media covered it not as another tawdry Australian affair, they covered it as how can I best describe it? They covered it as the Australians doing what the Australian does best, coming out and shouting, Oi. What the absolute donkey are you doing around these parts? Get out! And that is what was being reported because Tony Abbott was not a known quantity in the UK at the time. We didn't know how ridiculous and Mm. absurd he was. Mm. And it was 2012, so the internet wasn't quite as advanced as it is today. Yeah. And 
I remember watching, I think it was Channel 4 when they covered it. So they did a, an in-depth special on it. And they quite professionally pulled apart all of the attacks she had had that no man who sat in her seat would have ever received. John Howard took Australia to war and he got a free ride. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I would just I would strongly disagree with that. And there's a, there's an example I've got in my notes that I'll bring up about that later. Yep, yep. Keep going out, yep. But we in the UK specifically saw it as quite a nice foil to what was going on in our own country. Because oh. we at the time had the coalition government mm-hmm. of David Cameron. That's right, yep. And Nick Clegg, and they oh. were how can we say dull and duller? <laughs> yep. Public school boy number one meets public school boy number two. And it was really lovely to see something going on where there was something tangible, where somebody was standing up and going, excuse me, my rights are this. My rights are this. How dare you paint yourself as somebody who has turned up to defend my rights, you white-knighting, self-absorbed, narcissistic, misogynistic idiot. Was how it was portrayed in the UK. (laughs) Don't hold back at all, no. Because there was this definite sense that the way the UK media was portraying it was that Tony Abbott was this opportunistic white knight running in to say, oh, look how wonderful I am saving women, when he was then called out for it by Julia in the speech. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, this this may get a bit of reaction... Were people angry at her just for being a woman? Oh, definitely. They were. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Why, why do you say that? Um, because I'm trying to differentiate between gender, gender-based criticism of her. Like, I suppose, are they criticising her performance by resorting to sexist uh, remarks? Or are they going, oh, my God, what are we doing with the female PM? Get her out. Okay, I'll draw an example from myself. If I became Prime Minister of the UK, I would be attacked just for being a trans woman. Mm. I would have people say, how dare we have a trans woman run this country? How dare we have a trans person anywhere near public office? And it was was exactly the same. How dare we have a woman running Australia? How dare this woman uh, rule over all these men that should be running the show? That's interesting interesting you say that because I, well, my personal feeling was I was actually excited when Julie Gillard became Prime Minister. Uh, Whatever the circumstances, and I think Kevin was doing a bad enough job to justify uh, his removal anyway. And yeah, when Julia... When when Julie Gillard top, took the top spot, I was actually I, I personally was really happy about it. That was okay, cool. Like not only was she from my part of the world, not only did she represent the working class, um, but yeah, hey, look, we've got a female female prime minister. Cool. I was actually really, uh, I was actually personally, I was really happy with that. Um, 
Now, because I, okay, so Clancy, so yes, I've kind of kind of kind of cut it on you, but yeah, do you feel that she was uh, criticised simply for being a woman, or do you think that she was criticised for her missteps, but with gendered language? Well, I don't think she made any missteps, quite personally. Okay. Um, but I think she was criticised because there was a general feeling in the public which was basically fed by the media, the mm-hmm. right-wing media, yep. um, particularly run by people like Alan Jones and Murdoch, that she had somehow taken away the legitimate power from Kevin Rudd mm-hmm. and had stepped out of her zone to Which take is, that power. Well, it's interesting that after she took uh, the prime ministership, she actually went to an election. Mm-hmm. So any any uh, attempt to say that she she illegitimately took power should really be uh, squashed by the fact that she was uh, elect she was elected should, and should have but was not mm. and that was and that was completely media run mm. so there was definitely that perception in the media that she had somehow weaselled her way in because I. If I if memory serves me correct, I think there were questions about how much she knew before she made her initial challenge to Kevin Rudd. That was that was my recollection of it. Uh, how much that, she knew about what though? Uh, about because the, from from memory, the the narrative was that she she challenged Kevin Rudd on the spur of the moment. No, it wasn't the spur of the moment, and that and that's another perception that was false in in the whole media beat up about it. Because in the party at the time, in the Labor Party at the time, there was quite a widespread perception that Kevin had been basically not been a very nice person, and that he'd been doing quite a lot of stuff in the background that wasn't. Um, let's say, legitimate to the interests of the party and that he was, in fact, going against the interests of the party in the public sphere and that was the reason that really Julia was given no choice to step up and actually take over power. But, you know, there was lots of other things leading up to it. I mean, she had been promised things that weren't delivered as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, And she had done... huge amount in policy as well in the party that no one actually acknowledged um and you know kevin kevin was very popular and he he was very good at speaking and he had the gift of the gab and he was definitely um good on media but it was actually julia gillard that was doing most of the work behind the scenes so uh, I don't think a lot of the, the the public perception quite understood what was really going on. And unfortunately, when she took over, they turned on her because they felt that, you know, this, this lovely man, Kevin, had been, had been absurd. Here's the thing with that. Do you think that they were more frustrated at the right-wing factions that put her in place as it was portrayed by the media than they were at her oh definitely no that was definitely part of it and that and that was part of, that's always been part of the issue with the labor party 
um, that I took exception to myself personally is it's so factionalised and it's all about power plays. It's not really about what the national interest is or what the people's interest is. It's about who's going to get the most power out of it. And unfortunately, as with anything in this, she was forced to play the game. And mm -hmm. I think she did as well as she bloody could. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she was on the back step from the, from the get-go because basically people took a disliking to her simply, yes, simply because she was a woman and simply because they felt that she was taking a position that should have been done by a man. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a whole debate at the same time about quotas and the whole meritocracy and, yeah. you know, Emily's List was a big thing at the time. So I, I remember being invited to participate in Emily's List when I was in the Labor Party, yeah. and that was a real move by the Labor Party to get more women into parliament and to get more women who were actually going to step up and join the grassroots of the party and get interested in politics and there was a real fight back against that because it was seen as being no you can't do this because you're upsetting the status quo mm -hmm. and women should only be elected on merit but the freaking stupid thing about it was that most of the women that were elected were way better at it than the men <laughs> and way better qualified than the men. Because uh, just in saying that, the term faceless men got brought up a lot as well in reference to the union bosses who had helped install Gillard, if I, if I, remember, if I remember correctly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that was definitely part of it. Look, yeah. you know, this, this this takes me back to one of the reasons I was asked to run for pre-selection. Yeah. Because when I was asked to run for pre-selection way back in the bad old days in Wollongong, mm -hmm. part of the perception was Natasha Stock uh, Despoia was had only just become the leader of the Democrats. Democrats, yeah, yeah. And the Labor Party was seen as having a woman problem. Okay. Okay, so they were actually trying to get young women into the party to run for those seats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and you know, the Liberal Party were like, we don't care. <laughs> we'll just elect the men. But at least the Labor Party was recognising that there was an issue there that they needed to do something about it. So I will ask you the next question. Do you think that everyone who criticised Gillard criticised her because of her gender? No. Okay, because that seems that, that's well, that seemed to be a very common thing uh, around the time was that everyone who criticised Gillard, they were criticising her simply because she was a woman. No, and that some was, people just simply didn't like her because yeah, she was I, against I, their politics. Yeah, I, I agree. That was uh, like, and I, I'll say that I initially liked her, but then uh, I don't think the mining tax was a good idea, and I don't think the carbon tax was was that. It was a good idea, but I think the way she was going to go about it didn't really uh, work work out much. But I think just that, to me, that broken promise about the carbon tax, I really think that she really should have stuck to that. But um, anyway, that's uh, by by the by. Um, I think what was I think yeah. what was lost in this is that there were legitimate debates to be had on serious issues, mm -hmm. mining tax. Yep. Disability insurance. Um, MBN. MBN. For example, yep. there were education. 
there were legitimate discussions to be had on legitimate issues that people did not want to have anymore because they were more interested in Punch and Judy, let's go after her and criticize her because of who she is and not what she stands for. There were legitimate criticisms of the mining tax. There were legitimate criticisms of the carbon tax. But when you turn around and you have someone that is supposed to be the prime minister in waiting, Mm. go out and stand next to a sign that says, Bob, brown's bitch and there's a picture of a witch and then there's another sign that says ditch the witch and then there's another one that says julia and then there's another one that says the witch from laylor yeah it devolves the whole situation indeed and this is this is part of the whole aspect of that 2007 uh, up to up to now just that whole yeah it's we're not very good at politics, are we? Oh, oh I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but we're not very good at fair politics. I actually, think that's, that's the actually, main. Good correction, Claire. Good, good, good correction. <laughs> because what I would say, someone who was very good at politics was the. I'm going, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to get really vilified for this. Was the men of the 1990s and 1980s, Bob Hawke, Paul Keating, yeah. John Howard. They were very. Do you know why they were very good? Because you can see them win election after election after yep. election after election after election. Whether they were any good in the office is entirely up to mm. uh, history to decide. But they were good at the politics because Bob Hawke then was followed by Paul Keating. And guess what? Paul Keating won the 1993 election and no mm-hmm. one had thought that he would. And that kept Labour in power. And then you had 1996, 1999, 2002. Yep. And then you just go, oh, God, it's him again. <laughs> because, yeah, um, uh, John Howard, yeah, I, I, issue, I would actually say John Howard's probably the last great prime minister that we've that we've had whether you whether you like him or not is another thing but no just no fact, no just the fact that he was just the fact he was I'm, able I'm to win sorry, election I after election after election okay feel free to disagree with me but yeah anyone just, got a sick bucket i met john howard once he was one of oh. the most repulsive people i've ever met and i met him at the same time as bloody tony abbott and he was even worse oh, okay. so oh no, he was not. Um, and, and, you know, the interesting thing about this whole debate, when they talked about um, the Julia, mm. is I don't know if you recently heard the criticism of, well, you would have, Morrison mm. um, about him being a liar. Yep. Okay, so I was, I was having to laugh quite internally when I was listening the other day because they were talking about how, it's very rare for the media to come out and actually call a leader, an incumbent leader, a liar. Yep, yep. And yet they did it to Julia. Many people did it to Julia. Yep, yep. And she didn't lie. She was pretty bloody straightforward, actually. And the things that happened that didn't, you know, she wasn't able to support in the end was not her fault. She was forced into them. And so, you know, I take great objection to that. To her being called a liar. Morrison's definitely lied. Yep, I don't de- think Julia de- ever did. I think every, I think everyone has in some way, shape or form, it's unfortunately it's politics. 
But what I did want to quickly touch on was uh, abuse in in politics. And Phoebe said something before about um, John Howard not being criticised for for his decisions. And I remember when John Howard uh, committed Australia to the Iraq War, there were plenty of... There were, firstly, there, there, were, there were plenty of protests. And there was one protest, I remember, where someone had made an effigy of John Howard as a dog... Uh, with uh, with another effigy of George Bush bent over with his pants down to represent John Howard with his tongue up George Bush's ass. Now, now the difference between those protests mm-hmm. and this was you did not have members of Parliament, members of the House of Representatives going and endorsing that mm. that that might be the only the only difference but but the, the difference was it was endorsed on a large and industrial scale by Tony Abbott by going there and saying look how wonderful these are effectively I don't think that whoever the name escapes me the leader of the opposition whoever the leader of the Labour Party was at the time of that, Mm. would have gone up and stood next to that and smiled and had a photo taken with it. I just don't think it would have been done. Because, I no, mean, yeah. in Britain, we had anti-war protests as well. Yeah. And we had opposition politicians, in my opinion, one of the greatest men to never be Prime Minister, Charles Jeremy Kennedy. Oh. Sorry. Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite, and I will say that and I will wait to be sued. <laughs> if uh, Jeremy Corbyn... If Leave that in if you're... Leave that in if you're a brave man. Says a, or, or foolish. Says a Jewish woman. Says a Jewish woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. But yeah, but, one of the greatest men to never be Prime Minister, Charles Kennedy, in my opinion, mm. stood up and he gave an impassioned speech in front of a million people. Tony Abbott didn't stand up in front of the crowd and give an impassioned speech. He stood there and went, "Hey, hey, hey, hey!" I'll, I'll be, I'll be your savior. Mm. But also, there was um, just trying to think as I, I just gone through my notes. There was also a, an album released in the late '90s called "Rock Against Howard," and one of the songs in uh, "Rock Against Howard" was from Eddie Perfect, and the song is called "John Howard's Bitches." And a couple of the lines in there goes, uh, I visit his mansion, I'm his pool boy. He plays the Catholic priest, I play the schoolboy. After dinner we say our prayers, and then he handcuffs me under the stairs. Uh, then there's another song on the album called Get Fucked, uh, from a band called The Foves, which uh, literally says, When the first punch knocks you down and you're laying prostrate on the ground, Remember the stay. Re- remember the stay alert, not alarmed, while I hit you. So uh, abusive language in politics. You know, it's. I'm just. I'm just finding interesting that. Um. All this. All this bad stuff was said against Julie Gillard, and a lot of it was was incredibly repulsive. But you could also make the case that a lot of the stuff said against, a lot of stuff said against John Howard was also repulsive. But there doesn't seem to be that much, um, how can I say, blowback or 
um, or condemnation or condemnate condem- condemnation of that. I think the difference between the two is mm. one was done by individuals, members of the public, who were, for better or worse, expressing their right to political criticism, be this in very harsh languages. Mm-hmm. The difference here is that you don't have rampant hypocrisy within Parliament itself from the leader of the opposition mm-hmm. who is trying to paint himself as being above all this by turning around and saying, a member for Fisher, how nasty and awful it was that he did this, that and the other. And look at me now, I've come round to condemning all this, mm-hmm. when actually up the wazoo and round the bend, I've been doing it all my career. This was the difference. It was inside the House of Representatives. It wasn't inside the House of Joe Bloggs in Melbourne Ports. But it was reflected inside the House of Joe Bloggs from Melbourne Ports by the right-wing media who was Mm. basically supporting the whole kit and caboodle. And, I mean, that's where all the perspective was coming from. You know, Julia was being painted as this barren unmarried woman who didn't have any children and wasn't towing the line you know she was for free health free education Mm -hmm. she didn't have any kids she didn't she didn't she wasn't married um she was against the school chaplaincy yeah she was against the dual school chaplaincy program she was for taxing the mining companies she Mm -hmm. was for carbon pricing she was for trying to actually get shit done Mm -hmm. and of course all the big boys didn't like that because they were trying to protect the family way and protect marriage and get rid of marriage you know between homosexuals how dare they and have private schools and have private health and sell everything off to the highest bidder so that the government didn't actually have to fund any of it anymore and guess where all of their votes went? Not to Julia. Mm. Well, as you know, uh, in the first election, she... Hold on, no, but didn't, didn't she win that first election, though? Yeah, the first one she did. But, of mm. course, then they finally realised, hang on, this is a woman who actually knows her shit. We better do something about it. Well, no, I thought it was more Kevin Rudd's agitating that finally... Because Kevin Rudd tried... How many times was it? Three or four? He tried once and then he was basically told by the party, get fucked, mate. Uh That was basically what they said because he tried it and in the end he was was told that he didn't have enough votes to come anywhere near close to looking incredible so he withdrew. And then he made the famous line. He then made the famous line, I will never try to be Prime Minister of Mm -hmm. Australia ever again. And then they did. Yep. Um, did wasn't there one where he was actually overseas as foreign minister, and then he, while he was overseas, he relinquished his title of foreign minister, so he could explicitly challenge challenge Julia. He did, and I mean, it's it's interesting with that all that happening too, because Malcolm Turnbull essentially did the same thing. Mm. To Tony, Tony Abbott, you know, you had that sort of roundabout thing happening yeah, between yeah. the Labor and the Liberals where they were, you know, out yeah. dodging each other. But, I mean, the saddest part of 
of that whole episode too was that Albanese supported right when he'd initially supported mm-hmm. Julia. Mm. And and I I mean that broke my heart a little bit. Yeah, I think Bill but, Shorten as well, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think yeah. Bill Shorten also uh swapped sides. Yeah, and that and that was purely down to as Phoebe would say, the optics, because the media was so against Julia at the time that the Labor Party went, we have no choice. Even though the most of the Labor Party faction at the time supported Julia Gillard, um, because of the optics in the media, it, the perception was that if um, they didn't switch it back, then they mm. were going to lose the election. Which they did anyway. Which they did anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it fulfilled the line of one Paul Keating in an interview. Mm. God help Australia if Tony Abbott ever becomes Prime Minister. And he was right. He <laughs> was absolutely right. right. And I think yeah. this will be uh, an episode worth going over, Tony Abbott's Prime, Min- Prime Ministership, um, which is, yeah, there's a whole, whole bunch of uh, tawdry stories on its own, but... Uh, oh yeah, you told me this. Sorry, that's uh, my my wife still talking to her, to a work colleague. But um, I did also uh, just in my notes, I was uh, I did have some notes about um sexism towards women in politics because uh, when was it? There was if, uh, Clancy, you may be able to help me remember this. There was an ABC special a few months ago, uh, so Four Corners, sorry, uh, Four Corners, where uh, Emma Hussar. Mm. Uh, spoke um yes uh spoke about her experience now i do find it interesting so i watched uh i did watch her speak about her experience and it from what i can work out it was actually her party working against her yeah i'm i think there was an element of that i mean Mm -hmm. one of the unfortunate things i think is that there's still this perception in politics that women have to be able to do it all. As in? Yes. As in, uh, you know, be superwoman, hold, right. hold, a, hold a seat, mm-hmm. run for parliament or state parliament or whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. have kids, have a husband, have a couple of degrees, yep. do it all, right? And so there's this real perception that, you know, they have to be able to sacrifice. Yep. There's that sacrifice thing. But no one bloody cares if men are single and don't get married and don't have kids and do all of that sort of thing and mm-hmm. spend 12 hours a day at Parliament House. But it's almost seen as a like a badge of honour. It's almost seen as a badge of honour, exactly right. And, I mean, whoever heard of, you know, one of the male parliamentarians going home because his kid was sick and he needed to take them pick them up from school? Like, you don't hear about that shit. No. But if... But if a, a mum, yep. you know, who who's in parliament has to do it, oh, it's you know massive. Well, just that that just reminds me, wasn't it Kirsty Marshall who was in uh, in parliament and she breastfed her baby yep. in part? Sorry. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember that was a that was a bit of a um, uh, thankfully a bit of a bit of a turning point. But um, yeah, but I was just reading reading that and like. I suppose for for as uh, as many criticisms as you want to give of the of the Murdoch side of the of the media, um, here's Emma Hussar, a Labor representative, complaining that her own party was was white anting her basically. 
So it's it's, it's still a, an endemic problem in in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, and there was a few other examples I had in my notes as well. Um, Pauline Pants Down. Does anyone remember her? The, the parody, yeah, she's the par- awesome. The parody of Pauline Hanson. Now, is that is that a problem, yes or no? Yeah. Uh, look, it is. I mean, this, this is the thing too. It's like, I mean, Phoebe, Phoebe could probably speak to this a little bit. It's a yeah. little bit about what happened to Margaret Thatcher, you know? And Theresa and Theresa May, it's that perception of the right-wing woman who's in power and that somehow she just has to be that little bit tougher than the men to yeah. get her away. Were, weren't people celebrating when Margaret Thatcher died? Some people were, and some people were very upset that she died. I think that from a point of view is that Margaret Thatcher was, for better or for worse, able to harness the politics and behave the way that the men around her required her to behave. Mm. But she also made a point of that, though. That's the thing. Yes. The thing that you have to look at in Margaret Thatcher's time in political office is she was the only woman around that cabinet table. Mm. And the thing that gets me the most is I saw this same sign I saw this same saga and scenario that happened to Julia Gillard happen to Theresa May. Mm. So Theresa May takes over from David Cameron in 2016, and David Cameron has just won an election. So there's five years before the next scheduled election. So the next scheduled election was supposed to be, and we're quite fortunate it didn't actually take place then, May 2020 was supposed to be the next general election after David Cameron had become prime minister. So Britain votes to leave the European Union. Yes. David Cameron resigns from office. And the runoff that was going to go to party members of the Conservative and Unionist Party was Theresa May and Andrea Leadsom. And then Andrea Leadsom was forced to drop out of the race when she made comments about Theresa May not having any kids. And that was, and that, and the rot started there. Yep. And Boris Johnson had been pushed out of running for prime minister, effectively, and leader of the Conservative Party in 2006. Because he had his few personal dramas of his own, didn't he? Oh, he did. Yes. So he was pushed out because people didn't see him as credible to be prime minister. Uh, uh, only as foreign minister. But that comes later. That comes oh, later. Oh, all right, sorry. So you see the parallels. Woman takes over. Right-wing factions have pushed her into power. Mm-hmm. And it got so horrendous. There were newspaper headlines when there was a meeting in Scotland between Nicola Sturgeon, the leader of the yes. Scottish National Party and First Minister of Scotland, mm-hmm. and Theresa May. And it said, and this is a Daily Mail headline, it said, sod Brexit, who won legs it? Mm. Is that the photo you sent us? It is. 
Let me just double check. It said, and forget Brexit or sod Brexit. Who won legs it? And it's a similar sort of thing that was promulgated with Julia and her her jackets, you know, and her yeah. big ass and who did her hair and all that sort of crap. It's and all this focus Theresa, on appearance. And Theresa May's shoes. Yeah. It was always Theresa May's shoes. Was she wearing a kitten heel? Was she wearing a stiletto heel? Was she wearing a plain shoe? Was she wearing a flat shoe? It was absurd. And you would have yeah. cameramen that were down the side of a stage just to photograph her shoes because they knew that the tabloids would purchase it. Mm. And the parallels that you have in the UK, so you have in this play of Misogyny 101 and How to Become Prime Minister of Your Country, you have in the UK Kevin Rudd played by Boris Johnson and you have Julia Gillard played by... Theresa May. Theresa May. Yeah. And... Kevin Rudd was Foreign Minister of Australia, who was Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs in the UK. Boris Johnson, who make... was leaking Sorry. all the stuff in the UK. Oh. Boris Johnson, who was leaking all the stuff in Australia. Kevin Rudd, mm. who was responsible for pushing the woman out of office. The man who used to be Foreign Secretary. <laughs> yeah. Does that make Tony Abbott the uh, play, uh, Jeremy Corbyn played by Tony Abbott? Oh, no. Oh. Here's the thing, though. It does, because they're both incompetent, useless oh. men. Oh, dear. Well, Tony Abbott was good for a laugh. I'll, I'll give you that much. No, he wasn't. He was good for, He was good if you wanted to, to laugh at him. So part of yeah. my comedy set that I have, I mean, I have a comedy set, and one of the jokes is just how awful Tony Abbott was. Yeah. And, I've never, and I've never failed to get a laugh from any audience in Britain when I have said how awful Tony Abbott is. Yeah, he, tr he truly was awful and I met him and I had to shake his hand and it was one of the slimiest handshakes I've ever experienced in my life. Did you have to go and find some hand sanitizer afterwards? I I did. I really did. And the, and the scariest thing about it was that he was at a funeral. He was at my uncle's funeral and um, he was wearing a suit that was very obviously bought from the Salvos. Oh, good on him, good on him for buying from charity. You know, that's a... <laughs> he's recycling. Come on, give him, give him, give him credit. But so anyway, let, let's get on to the uh, let's get on to the aftermath of the speech. Did the speech save her? No. Look, Nothing would have saved it, her. No, it made her very popular outside of Australia, and it and as you would say. Damien with the feminist crowd, which I actually take a huge amount of objection to, by the way. Oh, sorry. Um, yes. <laughs> it's Let's a put terrible it this way. phrase. Let's put it this way. You wouldn't say with the blokes now, would exactly. you? Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes I might. No, I think with the uh, reasonable population of Australia, mm -hmm. yes, that would be the fair way to describe the people that like to Julia Gillard. Um, and that's why she became so popular outside of Australia is because yes. she was seen as reasonable, because she was seen as having her finger on, oh, my good grief, what on earth is actually going on? And countries like Britain, like America, didn't like what they saw in Australia because they were looking in the mirror. They were looking in the mirror. And, I mean, there was, there I mean, was a, an interesting article that was talking about how Obama 
and his cabinet actually watched the misogyny yeah. speech several yeah. times because um, they felt that they could learn from that. Um, you know, that that's that's a fairly telling thing that an American government would actually look at an Australian prime minister yeah, and go... What, what do they really learn in the end? Because... We, we saw but what happened. We, we saw what happened with we saw what happened with Hillary Clinton. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, and also, and probably one more name from American politics that uh, rings a bell: Sarah Palin. Well, she falls in the same category as um, our friend from Queensland. Yeah, but did she deserve to be sexualized and have pornographic? No, and, and and have pornographic. Absolutely no. made of her. Absolutely, she didn't. I mean, she was an idiot, but no, she yeah. didn't have. She didn't deserve to have sexualized parodies made of her. That's for but this sure. This is the thing. Like no one, no one on, I suppose, on the other side of politics has really owned up to that that kind of stuff and i just find it i, I do find it interesting that uh people will uh you know hammer tony abbott and donald trump as you know crude sexist misogynist people uh and there is some valid points that be made but then when those people are you know promoting um, sexualized parodies of Pauline Hanson and of Sarah Palin and making fat jokes about Amanda Vanstone and celebrating the fact that Margaret Thatcher died, <laughs> stuff like that. Look, no, and, and I actually agree with you on that point, Damien. There's uh, someone that um, is a Facebook friend of mine who posts some very interesting memes on Facebook, mm -hmm. and he, he does tend to post a lot of um, memes that are basically fat, fat parodies oh, yeah. of Trump and various other people. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, speaking as a fat person, I actually take a lot of objection to that because it's essentially equating being fat with being stupid. And incompetent. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, it's just, and it's the same sort of thing with the misogyny stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. It's equating being female with being stupid yes. or being, you know. Or a, being a, unmarried with being stupid or being without kids. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh... And, and that sort of stuff just should not fly. Like, we just shouldn't even tolerate it. That just should Indeed. be not, basically, not, we're not tolerating that. But if you're criticising something or somebody yep. because of their position on something or what they're actually saying about something, mm -hmm. go for it. Indeed. Don't base it on their appearance, though. Indeed, yep, I'll, I'll agree with you there. But I just found that... Here's the, here's the question, though. Here's oh. the question, though. Is it sexist in your opinion or in just opinion in general mm. to criticize Pauline Hanson when she went onto the floor of the Senate wearing a burqa because you're criticizing her appearance there, but it is a legitimate criticism of her Islamophobia. Yeah. That's a legitimate criticism yeah. of her Islamophobia. Look, I, I for something like that. Yes. It's, it's more about the Islamophobia than it is about the sexism mm. because She's basically shooting two guns at that stage because she's criticizing a the the whole Muslim. I think she, but didn't she do it as like religion? A, to, didn't she wear the burqa because she was um, highlighting security measures or something? Wasn't that the the reason? That was given? that was part of it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I mean, that, that's all sort of become a bit moot with everyone wearing masks these days, <laughs> Indeed, isn't yeah. it? And, and hoodies as well. Like we don't, yes. see, we don't, we don't seem to have hoodies. problem with hoodies. 
But as soon as a, yeah. a, a, an Islamic woman partakes in her culture, it's like, oh, geez, I don't, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Whenever I, mean, I hear, just just whenever I hear someone say the word hoodie, I'm reminded of a very cringeworthy headline from the days of David Cameron running Britain. He said, "I want to get back in touch with the communities. Everyone should go out and hug a hoodie." <laughs> And then, and then, the, and then there's this newspaper headline of this guy in a hoodie, like this, behind him, like this, making a finger imitation of a gun. Classy, classy. But no, unfortunately, uh, as pointed as the misogyny speech was, um, unfortunately, it, it didn't, it didn't save her. Uh, in March of the next year, uh, after continual sniping and leaking against supposition. Uh, from multiple people in her party. She did survive a spill of positions uh, in March, but then in June uh, of that same same next year, she then got replaced. So maybe it stayed, maybe it stayed in execution is one way of looking at it. I don't know. I actually, I actually think she dodged a bullet in a way. Okay. Um, look, as, as sad as I am that she did, not continue as prime minister i think in a way she was probably saved because what happened afterwards was so much worse true, true. and and and, and i think she was actually justified she was actually justified definitely now many years later she's mm. been justified in many of her policies and positions i mean you have a look at what's just happened at you know the uh, COP26 and, you know, all the stuff about carbon pricing and all the rest of it, she was ahead of her time. If if all of that stuff had gone in in 2011, 2012, we would have been way ahead of the ball game. And as it is, it didn't. And we're, we're basically stuck in the dark ages. Because we were too busy listening to a George Bush uh, across, across the Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, we were too, too busy listening to the right-wing Liberal Party. That- the thing that I will always remember from this was I remember watching the election coverage of when uh, of two of the two thousand and nine election coverage, and I'll always remember you know, the pictures of Julia going to vote, and then they said it was reported earlier today that Kevin Rudd had turned up very early at a polling station that no one realised that he was registered to vote at so that he could vote without the media being there. Mm. That sounds like a very yes. Kevin, th- Kevin thing to do. It does sound like a very Kevin thing to do. So, anyway, so what happened after? So, uh, Julia basically rode off into the sunset because I think she... I think she did the right thing by challenging Kevin to a do-or-die contest. You know, whoever loses has to take off. And it turns out that by years end, both of them would have uh, both of them took off because uh, Julia lost that particular um, spill of positions. Kevin uh, lost the election and then took off anyway. Um, so Julia now actually has a library uh, in uh, in the suburb next to me. Oh really? The the Julie Gillard Library, and I go I go there sometimes, and it's a nice library. I I don't mind it. Because I say that the, one of the big things that I will notice is that the way that the Australian Labor Party selects its leaders change, and that is one of the big things because mm. you don't have these continuous 
internal Labour Party merry-go-rounds of this person, this person, this person, this person. No. You elect this person through the membership of the party now. Mm. Mm. If I remember correctly, I think they, you needed 60% of people to overthrow a opposition leader and 75% of the membership to vote to overthrow a prime minister were the new rules that uh, Kevin Rudd introduced after, uh, or someone in Labour introduced after this, this, after this whole debacle. Bill Shorten. Bill Shorten did, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Bill, yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, and... Wouldn't he, be, wouldn't he have been interesting as Prime Minister? Oh, he would have... Uh, look, I don't know about Bill Shorten. He sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, with Bill, he had really come to prominence during the mine disaster in yep, yep. Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And no-one had really heard about him before that. Um, I actually think he did a really good job. I think that... He, um, I know there was a lot of internal politicking going on at the time where they were. He was he was treading water for someone yep. else to come in. Yep. And I think they were hoping that another woman would step up. Um, Albo's been angling for it for a very long time. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if he's actually going to make it to the next election or not. I would have um, thought Christina Keneally would be a good uh, a good leader. I think Tanya Plibersek's probably more likely, but I I um I always I mean I've always favourite um, my favourite's always been Penny Wong, but she's a senator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how awesome would it be to have um, a lesbian Asian? Um, Asian from, from South Australia, from South Australia, from South Australia, South Australia as prime minister. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, that's um, yeah. <laughs> Although I have been told that she's actually a Christian, which I'm a bit shocked about. But okay, well, well, um, that's uh, no, another discussion there. But um, no, I think uh, <laughs> Christina does have some, uh, like, because she, she was uh, one of the few female premiers of New South Wales to not fall victim to ICAC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she's at least got that going for her, but. Yeah, Tanya. Yeah, Tanya's been around for for a while, but maybe the fact she's been around for a while may work against her as well. True. Um, and that's the thing is that, that most of the women in federal parliament at the moment actually have been there for a long time, have a lot of cumulative experience between mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually pretty formidable. Like, you know, if if came to the crunch, pretty much anyone at the moment. Could step up and do a really good job. Well, let's uh, if um, Albo doesn't uh, get his act together, he may f- soon find himself replaced. He might, but you know, I think he's been making a huge effort to see himself as the next prime minister. I don't know if anyone's noticed that he's been on a bit of a fitness binge mm-hmm. um, and has lost quite a lot of weight. And you know that's all speaking to the optics. He must have Certain it. Boris Johnson did exactly the same, and Mark Latham exactly. as well. Yeah, well, actually, there's an episode we need to cover. Mark Latham. Yeah, dreadful man. Sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a dreadful man except for Albo and Shorten. 
I wouldn't well, call you a dreadful man yet. Not yet, no. <laughs> no, okay. Anyway, uh, any final words before we uh, end, end this episode? Peter Slipper was found not guilty of sexual harassment. No, yep. And Julia Gillard should be our president. We need to... Well, 1999 was the wrong answer. <laughs> she can still be president. She needs to be in the Senate first and then be elected Speaker of the Senate. Then she's president. Done. Sorted. No, she needs to be the president in the Republic. We need to be a Republic first, and that's a long exactly. way. Exactly. Well, I'm we sorry. Can't, we can't while we're saving the Governor-General. Sorry, I, I'm sorry, but I have to, I have to dispute I have to dispute your assertion that Morrison becomes the president if the Queen dies and we become a republic because it would still have to go through the process. True, but it's just, it's just something I said to rile you up. I know. That's why I'm Ooh. saying just, it now. Just like riling Julia Phoebe, Gillard for president. Just like riling Phoebe up for her cricket team's lack of success is another national national hobby. What I will oh. say though, what I will say though is there is a there's a Formula One race taking place today, and where's your favoured Australian son in that race? Oh, where's no. our favoured British son? Favoured Australian. What's well, that? What's... I have I have to point I have to point out though, as far as cricket goes, um, and we're talking about misogyny. What just happened to Tim Payne? He um, something came back to bite him on the proverbial backside. Mm. Sexting, I do believe. Yes. Now, however, I think the question is, should he have uh, should he have stepped down? Because well, uh, the question is, might... should he have stepped up in the first place? Well, <laughs> there's another another point. But should he have stepped in it in the first place? <laughs> given given that he uh, or given that he claimed that uh, Cricket Australia exonerated him and that the whole thing was uh, consensual. That mm. does. That does. Uh, and, if, and if those claims are correct, then I don't see the problem in you know if his if both parties are willing, I don't quite see the. But however, however, I think the lady did the lady did complain to uh, the relevant authorities, and uh, yes, yeah, now coming up. I draw you. conclusions. I draw conclusions. Mm, conclusions. Between but this I don't know, case. Well, all and that the stuff. Peter Slipper case. Peter Slipper was found and cleared by a judge, yet he still lost the speakership. Yeah. Uh, look, a lot, a lot of that speaks to um, what people think about as moral and right. Whether or not it's legal or just... Uh, yes. Two different things. Indeed, yep. What is moral and right is still seen as more important as what is legal and just. Mm. And there's, a, a, you know, probably an ongoing debate about what men do and what women do in those sorts of spheres that mm -hmm. are moral and just and legal and right. Well, so, because, because we then have the example of Jared Hayne who went to a woman's place uh, where he believed the encounter was consensual and it turns out it wasn't. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think guilty was the right verdict there. Mm. From, from all... From all well, uh, it, does, it does speak to consent and it does speak to what is the thing that you do at the time, mm -hmm. whether or not that influences to what happens yep, yep. 
to establish consent, but also whether or not something you did 10 years ago should influence what happens now. It's a very muddy, muddy, muddy area. It is indeed. And I mean, we've... Sorry, go. Go on. I say because um, I think Phoebe asked a question: Should he have been brought? Uh, so is the you or Phoebe who asked: Should he have been brought up? And apparently, mm. the reason he got brought up was because of the Sandgate affair. Because Steve, Steve Smith was uh, suspended for his role in the Sandgate affair, and they needed someone who's clean cut and has very good mm. optics and is a, is a is a good good boy with a good family. Hey, Tim, uh, are you doing anything next weekend? Exactly. And yeah, now this has come to bite him on the on the backside. But anyway, ladies, uh, till next time. Excellent. What are we talking about next time? About a bed. Republic. 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 Cool. In history's page, let every stage advance Australia fair. Let us sing, advance Australia fair.